Hello, hello. Welcome back, Leading a Woman in Tech. It's Tony here, your leadership career bestie. We are talking today to the fantastic Danva Chandler. We're going to be talking about what it means for us as women to have careers in blockchain, crypto, and what Web3 is. Danva is going to talk about being the only woman in the room and also what this new world of cryptocurrency, blockchain, all those things mean for us as women. This was an eye-opening conversation to me because it isn't something I've dipped into at all. I've not been interested previously in blockchain at all. If there are many people like, but hold on, you worked in supercomputing, surely you should know about this. No, no, I don't. <laughs> so I allowed myself to ask some interesting questions. I'm pretty sure you're going to find this interesting too. And if nothing else, she has some interesting insights to her career journey, which is always something of interest. And ladies, before we dig into today's episode, do make sure that if you are looking to up-level, if you are looking towards finishing 2022 with a bang, it is not too late to give yourself that up-level that you need and punch through that glass ceiling. I don't often use the word punch, it's very masculine, but I want so many of you to finish 2022 by punching through that glass ceiling, by really shattering it, leaving it in fragments. If that sounds like what you want to be doing, if you want to finish the year on that high, but also with more ease and flow, then please, please make sure that you head over to the Lit Up Leadership Academy. Yes, we are taking enrollments. You can head over to tonycollis.com forward slash academy. Find out all the juicy details. If you want to have a chat with me about whether or not it's a good fit for you, you can book a call on there. Have a zero obligation friendly chat with me. And if it sounds like the kind of thing you're after, please do go ahead and sign up. Remember, it's a month-by-month rolling membership. You can just join for as little or as long as you want. There's no pressure. And I guarantee that this is going to be life-changing for you. All right, let's get Danver onto the show. Let me first of all tell you a little bit about her. Danver is the head of community at Synesis One. She obtained a bachelor's degree from Southwestern University, Master of Education from Vanderbilt, And you're going to find out from her in just a moment about how she started off in as a teacher before deciding to move to blockchain um, after a journey that took her around the world. She is now the co-founder of a nonprofit building a global community centering on the arts. She joined the team behind Synesis One Mind AI in 2017. She's completely and utterly devoted and passionate about how her work there is going to enable direct participation and creating benevolent AI, her words, for humanity as a result. This woman is doing all the right things and making all the right noises. So without further ado, let's get her onto the show. You're listening to the Leading Woman in Tech podcast, where we talk about real leadership and what this means for the world of tech, the techniques, tips, and strategies you can use to become a standout leader. I'm your host, Tony Collis, tech leadership coach, strategist, and coffee lover. And in each episode, I share my best insights designed to make your success not just simple, but inevitable. Whether you're on the way to the C-suite, an emerging leader, or a budding entrepreneur, this is the podcast you need to become a lit-up leader and turn your tech passion into a career you love. Hello, hello. Welcome to the show, Danver. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Tony, for having me. I'm so thrilled to chat with you today. 
Well, let's dive straight on in to the question I ask every single person because all of us have exciting and interesting stories. Can you share with us your career journey, some highlights and the lowlights? Because I think the ups and downs tell us a bit more reality and why you're now passionate about crypto and Web3. Yeah, I'd love to. So really early on in life, um, tragedy really hit my family when I was really young. And I didn't really dream or think about what I wanted to create or contribute for a long time, actually. Um, And I think childhood is that time when you're exploring and thinking about what do you want to do in the world? And I think that was really paused. So when I got into college, I started the teacher pre-service program because I felt like it was going to be a great opportunity to help. Um, But when I got into the classroom, I started to see that it was really difficult to unwind the trauma that my students were experiencing. Um, So I basically went abroad and I had the complete opposite experience in South Korea, where their tech is super advanced. Parents and students treat teachers as though they're like next to God. And that's when I met my current boss and also mentor. And he basically asked me to come work for him in tech after I'd known him a couple of years. And we began with mobile apps and then transitioned into AI and blockchain. And what really excites me about blockchain and the crypto space is that it's a great opportunity. Um, There are no rules or regulations currently prohibiting anyone from hopping in and really making a contribution. That's what really excites me. So you mentioned there something, there's no rules or regulations. Then you immediately said prohibiting anybody, which is something I'm also passionate about, like when we have these artificial barriers. However, the cautious part of me is immediately like, what, no rules or regulations prohibiting people, even bad people? Is this part of why you think crypto has a bit of a bad reputation? Yeah, um, crypto definitely does have an unfortunate reputation because of some of the early players and actors that have come in, came into this space really early on and used it for nefarious reasons. Um, one woman that I'm really, really inspired by is Catherine Hahn. She worked for the FBI um, and she was in charge of creating the crypto like task force investigating these criminals who were on the blockchain. And lo and behold, she found out that it was an FBI agent who had taken down Mt. Gox, which if your listeners may or may not be familiar, in 2014, um, Mt. Gox had $600 million hacked from their system. And she found out there was a rogue you know, United States FBI agent that had done this, and she realized the power of using this particular type of technology to provide a structure that we could all be a part of and also help us trap and stop some of these nefarious you know, behaviors online. And um, she was so inspired that she left the government and has gone into crypto full time. So I'm always inspired by her story. I think we have bad actors across the board and in, in, in every industry, unfortunately. And you bring up a great point because when we went into the pandemic in 2020, I don't know if people are aware, but banks that are holding our funds today were really um, getting hacked more frequently than they had been in the past. And the current structure of our internet today is such that our finances are not completely safe in these centralized places. There's hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars um, being hacked 
every single year across banks. And there are nations where when this happens, it has a really negative impact on their economy. The United States is um, hacked. Uh, the various banks within the United States, of course, are, are receiving these, you know, attempts on a low scale and even high scale. And that's what makes this crypto space really magical in that there is an opportunity to have this structure that's more protective, that helps protect banks in a way and your personal finances in a way, because we've, we've seen this over, you know, time. Um, more and more organizations and companies online all of our data is being taken. And so thank you for asking that question because I think it's really important to kind of paint that picture. Mm. Yeah, and it is interesting. Like there's always bad actors and it's about what we do with it. And I think something I care deeply about is if crypto, blockchain, all these things are going to become part of the new normal, we do need to have a look at regulations in the same way that right now countries are struggling with how to regulate social media you know, we don't know what the right or wrong is, where's the barrier of free speech, all that sort of stuff. But it's clear that there are some issues that we need to regulate for. Would you say that that's going to be true about crypto at some point in the future, that we, it is going to need some regulation just to minimize damage? I totally agree that um, regulation needs to happen. Um, I think that Early on in the space, people got away with a lot because there, there wasn't regulation and there is a desire for that to happen. I think we need to pay attention to who the signalers are in the space. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, crypto can get a bad rep because of maybe media or a particular celebrity says something or someone in, um, in, in any space, in any industry says something. But I think the big, bigger signalers are coming from our financial institutions. There are some large investment firms who have gone to, um, request for regulation so that they can have their investors participate. That is a much bigger, bigger signaler. Um, to me than perhaps someone who's just an influencer and maybe is really far removed from understanding like the financial sector. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Um, I do have some more questions about crypto, although I really want to get to your leadership career because obviously that's the point of the podcast, leadership. Um, but because I'm fascinated by this topic as well, I've never really dabbled myself in cryptocurrencies or blockchain at all. Despite my background in supercomputing, a lot of people are like, oh, do you know about blockchain? I'm like, no, no, not really at all. <laughs> so can you explain some of the lingo here? There's blockchain, there's crypto, NFTs, DOAs, and also Web3. How does that even fit into all of this? Can you break that down for us? Sure. Um, so this will be really high level, very quick and to the point. Um, we just talked about Web2, where I you know, expressed the concern regarding bank failures and hacks and what have you and the structure of our internet. Just to kind of make that picture a little bit more clearly, when I talk about our current version of the internet today, um, we call that Web2. And everyone can identify with having a username, having a password, forgetting your password, getting locked out of a particular platform, and then you experience that maybe 10 or 20 times, depending on how many emails you have, how many passwords you have saved. That process is super inefficient. It's really outdated. It's uncomfortable, right? Um, so what Web3 is coming in and doing and is saying that let's recreate a new structure of the internet where we don't have to 
worry about these these types of vulnerabilities that we're experiencing in Web2 and that we can reduce and minimize those sorts of, you know, uncomfortable and also inefficient experiences, logging on every time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's also coupling together um, tokens and this idea of decentralization, where my information, my precious information, isn't going to go to some third party to potentially get hacked and taken and affect my life negatively. It's going to be closer to me. And I think that's really exciting. Um, when we talk about crypto, I, I like to think of it as like interchangeable with currency. And, you know, we have 180 currencies in our world that's recognized by the United Nations. Um, and in crypto, we have 18,000 currencies, but 8,000 of those digital currencies are like not even in use. So we have about 10,000 that, that are tied to projects that we could come in and find value in and, and also interchange that with, you know, real currency, which we call fiat in, in the regular world. And I think that's exciting. Um, capitalism is sort of moving into the internet in a way, in a new way. And I think that's exciting. Um, you, your listeners have probably heard of NFTs, the, you know, non-fungible tokens. And I just think of those as our digital assets online. So currently people see it as art, like, you know, they say the JPEGs online, but over time, I think we're going to see more, um, assets like we, we already have fashion, so you can get shoes online and, and it's kind of blowing people's mind. Like, what do I do with digital shoes? Eventually you'll be able to wear them, you know, and, and have a unique experience. But we don't know. We're not 100% clear on that path. And that's why women, um, and especially women leaders, should come into this space and help craft and create and contribute to what is the future of the Internet going to look like? Um, because a woman's voice matters in this space. People from marginalized groups matter in this space so that we can create an internet that we all are proud of and that we all, you know, want to be a part of. Um, the last thing I'll tap on is um, DAOs, uh, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations. If I could really condense that, I would simply say that it's like a business on the blockchain where a treasury is tied to that business and you can come in and contribute as much or as little as you like and you get rewarded for your contribution. What's exciting about that and what's beneficial for, I really think, women and anyone who's been left out of, you know, the traditional roles in, in our society is that you can come in. No one has to know your gender. No one has to know if you're pregnant. No one has to know if you have kids. You come in, you're contributing online and you're getting rewarded for that. I think that's really powerful. It's not that you're having a face-to-face -face interview and someone is determining if you um, are qualified based on your gender and all these other, you know, characteristics. Um, I think that's super powerful. And crypto really values people who are anonymous. There's several well-known people who are anonymous. No one knows their gender. They're wonderful um, at crafting and creating and contributing in this space and helping projects really succeed. But no one knows who they are. And I think that's really powerful. I can see that you're extremely passionate about this being used to break barriers for us as women, for other underrepresented groups, for anybody who, well, you know, traditionally isn't white male, right? Why, why is that? Like, where does this passion come from in you? That's a great question. Um, 
<laughs> I threw that one at you, Al. <laughs> Unexpectedly, I know. <laughs> and no, it is. Um, you know, I think I really believe that every single person, whether you are a white male, whether you come from a marginalized group, whatever, has the power to help us all succeed. I think that's really, really beautiful. What has happened is that there are some structures in our traditional industries where people are close-minded and the internet is so open and ripe for someone to come in and create. All that is required is, of course, the capital, the creativity, and your willingness to come in and contribute whatever you're seeking to contribute. That's really exciting um, for me. I think I've always been passionate about hopefully having a utopia of a world. Uh, I, I might have a romanticized view of the world that we're all hand in hand living in harmony. I can't turn that off. Um, it's probably just something that I was innately given. And I see all, I just, I hope for that. <laughs> so I think I'm, I'm really motivated by that and, and motivated in supporting the people who support everyone in this space. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. We're going to get more to your leash in just a second, but I do want to address one more thing. And this is a personal thing for me. Um, I'm very passionate about the fact that the human race urgently needs to address climate change. Uh, seriously, urgently. And I say that as somebody who spent the first part of her professional career working on the fastest supercomputers in the world, which are some of the biggest drains on environmental resources. And there was always that trade-off in my mind, like we were studying things that were going to help climate change, but we were contributing to climate change as we did it. Cryptocurrency, blockchain, has a really bad reputation for its impact on climate change, at least at the moment anyway, especially Bitcoin, I think, epitomizes that. The fact that the cost of electricity to generate a new Bitcoin at any point in its history costs more than the actual cost of electricity, um, and it, then there's a the climate impact on that. How do you respond to that? How do you think as a society we can embrace cryptocurrency, blockchain, but still do something right for the planet? That is a really great question. And I'm also very much um, passionate about the health and well-being of the earth. Um, one thing that I think we really have to be critical about is we can't blame the new industry on the block for what we've been doing for the last several hundred years. As far as um, using our natural resources, we use oil, we use coal, we use natural gas more than these other forms of um, green energy. And I know that it's a challenge for a lot of these sectors, some of them that's all that they can use. Um, I know that that's a challenge for us, but I think that we really have to keep an open mind towards focusing on research and using more green forms of energy. Currently, we're not doing that. I also think that we have to be mindful of just recording, just using our internet, plugging in, having appliances plugged in, not unplugging them. We're all contributing to an excessive use of energy. At the personal level, what are we doing if we really mean that we care about the environment? Rather than pointing fingers, what are we doing at the personal level in our house? That would be a starting place for me to ask you know, us to all critically think about at the personal level, what are we doing? At the industry level, and who's requiring, you know, 
how we generate energy, I would say that we need to address um, the how energy is generated as well. And I know that Western nations, or uh, I should say more developed nations, are moving away from burning coal. But newer nations that are coming into their economies are building up coal factories. And this is having a negative impact on um, the climate. But we can't point the finger at them and then say to them, oh, well, you need to completely change when they're just getting started. So there needs to be some more concerted effort between nations to help each other use green forms of energy. And I think that's not currently happening. Mm -hmm. I love your points there because really the underlying message is we shouldn't stifle innovation because it contributes to something we're already doing. Instead, we need to go back and have a look at what we're creating in terms of especially energy generation is the thing we're both talking about here. Obviously, there's way more to it than just energy generation in terms of climate change. But we actually need to look at that first and foremost. I think that is a more realistic take because at the end of the day, we aren't going to stop using our computers. I'm fully aware I spend all day on the internet. That means I've got computers plugged in. It means every single Google search I do burns. Oh my goodness me. I looked it up at some point at how much electricity is used for a Google search and it's fairly horrendous. (laughs) And how many of those do we do a day? And actually, rather than saying, oh, we can't be doing those things, we need to actually be looking at the resources using and changing that instead. Because it's in the same way, thankfully, we're now looking at electric cars. It's unrealistic for us to stop driving cars, which is what was being pushed for a long, long time. We need to stop driving our own cars. We all need to use public transport. This is the same kind of discussion. Would you would you agree with that? I do. And I would also, what what's coming to mind is, you know, we're chatting or just some of the resources that I, I use in my day-to-day life just to offset my own personal um, carbon emissions. So um, I I don't know if your listeners are familiar also with Ecosia, but every time you you search online, it actually helps plant a tree. So the the search um, that goes towards marketing, they use to plant trees in the environment. And so sometimes I just change up. I'm not using Google or not using DuckDuckGo. I'm going to Ecosia.com to do searches to offset, right? So, um, and then, you know, offsetting our personal carbon emissions, I think it's it could be like maybe $60 for the whole year or something, depending on your how much you use. Um, so I agree with you that we need to change the conversation so that we're more focused. We're critically thinking about coming with the solution rather than pointing fingers and playing the blame game, which just keeps us trapped. Mm. I love this. Thank you so much for having that conversation with me because it's very dear to my heart. We were a little off topic because I do want to talk about women in leadership. So let's get back on topic. That's all my fault. (laughs) Um, Hopefully the listeners found it interesting too. So I want to move back to you. And I know that you have a lot of experience about working in a male-dominated environment, particularly right now. Uh, Blockchain is such an environment, uh, crypto in particular. Um, Even though I know that crypto is can be from what you're saying a gender leveling opportunity for the human race what has been your experience of being the only woman in the room and how can we do something with something like crypto to make it that leveler for women what do we need to be doing yeah i can speak from the two opposites right i was in a heavily um, female dominated industry with teaching 90 percent of teachers at least in the united states are female and then i went into a predominantly um, male environment. And I can tell you that it's, there, it's not been completely easy. 
Um, I know that for a short while we had a woman on our team and I remember feeling the relief of, oh, another person is, you know, advocating for the exact same thing that I'm saying and it's able to be moved forward. So I would say that the important thing is if you are um, a female and you, you're alone in this space, um, having an advocate who understands what you're saying, who understands your perspective and, and, and what you're trying to bring forward is really a great tool to have. And, and that has worked for me as just having someone who understands and, and can help me share my ideas and like creative thought in a way where everybody can receive it. Because sometimes there are those social, you know, um, levels that have clouded people. And breaking through that, I think, is not going to be overnight. It's definitely not overnight. And so it takes a little bit of time. In crypto, there's so many organizations um, that are trying to bring women in, educate them also about this space. Um, and also having, you know, in real life, we call it IRL, um, events so that you can meet and network build relationships with other women and also men in the space who can be your advocates and connect you accordingly. Um, those things are, are happening. I see them in crypto um, or I see them when I go to conferences. Um, I see them when there are events that are crypto focused. People seem to be really open and they want this to be a wonderful space. I love that. I love that so much. Well, what do you think that you, your organization is doing that is having a direct impact on women in the workplace? Yeah. Um, at Senesis One, one of the things that we are driven by is crowdsourcing to build artificial intelligence. And if you think about how artificial intelligence is built right now, it's behind closed doors. No one really knows what's going on. And I mean, I can use the example for GPT-3, right? GPT-3 utilized all of the Wikipedia articles. Now, Wikipedia is also crowdsourced. People contributed. How much of the contributions were from males? 86%. So we have 14% of this AI, GPT-3, is a female perspective and 86% is a male perspective. This is globally around the world. So that already is an AI that's masculine, you know, dominated by the masculine voice. And I think that, you know, they've pulled other articles. I won't say it's 100%. GPT-3 is not 100% just Wikipedia. They've pulled other sources. But I think what we're trying to do, we're aiming to do at Senesis One is say, hey, you can come in and write a sentence. It's going to help train AI. And you can be from anywhere around the world. And we're building this globally. I think that's powerful already. And that's also what excites me is having a global unit of people build artificial intelligence that's publicly shown and shared is a way more powerful AI that I would like to get behind than an AI that was, you know, built behind closed doors and, and based on some algorithms that might have any you know, particular bias or what have you. Mm -hmm. So for me, I'm really excited about that. And we have women in our community at Synesis One who hop in the Discord are contributing, you know, right. Really, it's that literally that simple. You write a sentence and you're helping to train the AI. Um, and that's exciting. 
I am going to make sure that if we have one anyway, we're going to put the link to that in the show notes because that to me, that is one of the reasons I do this kind of work because things like AI terrify me, even though I'm also simultaneously excited about AI, machine learning. But there are so many examples out there now where the data we're putting in to AI is flawed. And I remember my my primary school teacher saying to me, rubbish in equals rubbish out. He was talking about calculators because mm. back in the day, that's what we had. Rubbish in equals rubbish out. And AI epitomizes that. We know things like AI being used for medicine can be incredibly powerful, but it inherits the bias of the people giving it the data to learn from. And this is terrifying to me for the human race. And so what you're doing is just so incredibly important and beautiful at the same time. So thank you for doing that for me. <laughs> um, thank you. And I think I talk on behalf of our listeners when when I say that as well. Um, but yes, we will make sure that the link for that is in the show notes. So if you are listening and you're like, okay, I want to spend five minutes today contributing to making AI less biased, please, please go check out the show notes, get that link, go over to Synesis one and add your contribution. Okay, we do need to move on to the quick fire round because I could talk all day about this stuff and it's beautiful, but let's let's get into some nitty gritty quick fire questions. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever been given? You know that advice where they say, fake it until you make it. <laughs> that was really um, one of the worst. And I think everybody gets that um, advice, but it was worse simply because I really should have just hired on a full person, like a full-time person to do the thing that I was asked to go and learn and, and execute on. And um, yeah, I think when you know your limit and you really, you really know your limit, then you know, you know, what you can do. That's fake it till you make it doesn't work. So fake it till you make it with wisdom, but not fake it till you make it hundred <laughs> percent. I think I've done, I think you've done a podcast episode on fake it till you make it, or maybe it's in my academy. I can't remember. Um, because you're right. It's it's with wisdom is the key thing, right? It can be powerful. I used yes. to, again, I used to hate that phrase. I was like, it's just so counterproductive. There is some wisdom in there if you know how to interpret it. So I love that one. Okay, let's flip it to what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Yes, this one actually came from a book and I think it was 17 years old and it's really sort of been a bit of my North Star, but the, the author Zora Neely Hurston and I'm just going to paraphrase the sentence and the advice, but she said there's two things people have to do for themselves. They have to go learn about God and they have to go learn about life. And I think being a 17 year old, that second piece, go learn about life was so liberating that, oh yes, I am the captain of my own ship. Mm. I get to drive what is going to happen in my life. And that was super freeing because at that time you have all the influences from parents and family members about, you know, go to this college, do this, do that. And that was such a liberating um, phrase. It's the only sentence out of the whole book that like really, really impacted me. Oh, it's beautiful. Okay. Uh, one of my favorite questions to ask people is what is your favorite networking tip? And I ask this because many of us struggle with networking. So do you have a favorite networking tip to share? You know, I, I like to think of networking more so as building relationships. And um, I actually, one of, my, one of my mentors actually read relationship books all the time to focus on how to network better. And it was the, now I never got into that because I thought this is crazy advice and like 
learning about negging and like how to do, you know, really strange things. But um, that individual was super powerful in, in their ability to, to network. So, but I think of it as you're going in and potentially you, are you going to find a friend? Are you going to really establish a relationship? And I think that's really what brought me into the space is that I wasn't networking when I met my current boss. I was just developing and establishing like a, a friendship. And that became another opportunity, you know, to, to work years later down, down the road. And I think that's really important is, is really look at people as, as people, which I think women do naturally. Um, I think our intuition guides us to, to nurture at times. Um, I don't want to blanketly say every single woman in the world does that, but I do think that is inherent, um, element of being a woman and I think that we should think about it from a relationship standpoint lovely beautiful okay and next question what is your favorite mindset tip to help us on our journey as leaders yeah it's um from a woman perspective I just love to think of um our intuition is so powerful and just really leaning into your intuition but I think what's helpful in the crypto space is that comparison is the thief of joy. And what I'm learning about this space is that you're going to meet people who are the wizard of Oz in the land of Oz. They do not know what they're talking about at all. And I think that's the big blinding spot for the prohibiting a lot of women from maybe entering in the space is that there's this belief that maybe this person knows more than me and there's no way I could catch up to that. And I think it's a big you know, that's the wizard. He's just throwing up puff and smoke. And really, you belong here. Oh, I love that. We do belong here. Absolutely. We belong here. Um, This has been amazing. So how can people connect with you, find out more about you and what you do, your company? Please tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So um, of course, in the show notes, you'll have the Senesis One Discord link where you can hop in and start doing, you know, train to earn again, just contributing sentences. And then anybody can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, that's, that's really it. Um, Danver Chandler. Thank you so much, Danver. This has been amazing. Have you any final thoughts you would like to share? Um, I just hope that your listeners feel welcome to come on in, um, into this space and explore whether you spend a month just learning and, you know, and what have you, I would just say the doors are wide open and we want you here. <laughs> Absolutely. So listeners, remember, as always, stay on your tech leadership game, follow your dreams, because the world really does need that uniqueness that you bring as a leading woman in tech. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, check out how to get more of my help and some free resources. It's where I take what I talk about in this podcast and really help you apply it. Hop on over to tonycollis.com and check out Work With Tony and free resources in the menu bar. Until next time, this was Tony Collis on the Leading Woman in Tech podcast.